0: And you can get an extra three months free. ExpressVPN.com slash SlashFilm. Hello,
1: everyone, and welcome to SlashFilm Daily for September 15th, 2017. On today's show, we're going to be giving an update on that Devin Ferracci Alamo Draft House controversy that we mentioned yesterday. We're going to be talking about Max Landis' An American Werewolf in London remake. A dozen new Star Wars stories have been revealed. Tyrese begs The Rock not to make his Fast and the Furious spinoff, find out why. And multiple endings being planned for Game of Thrones. In the mailbag, we'll talk about what it takes to get a career writing about movies for a living. This is Peter Serota, and on today's podcast, I have with me slash film managing editor, Jacob Hall.
2: Hey, Peter, just you and me today.
1: Yes, it's a short shift. Uh, Ben is on a work trip that we're not privileged to talk about. And uh, yes, so it's just you and and me on the podcast. So yesterday after we released um, the podcast where we talked about this Devin Ferracci controversy and, and... to anybody that isn't listening to Slash Film on a daily basis, let me give you the quick recap. Uh, basically, we had a meaty discussion about a controversy happening in the film world. Former movie blogger Devin Fracci had been removed as editor from Birth Movies Death following accusations of sexual a- assault. Uh, and uh, and I think that was almost a, a year ago. Uh, it, it turned out that he had been working behind the scenes for the Elmo Drafthouse, the parent company of Birth Movies Death, as a copywriter. And... This past week, he was credited for uh, for entries in the Fantastic Fest guide, which sent shockwaves through the community because it, you know it seemed wrong that he was given a spotlight in the same film community that he hurt. And also, it seemed that he had been seemingly uh, paid all this time by the same company that said that they kind of let him go. Um, Fantastic Fest programmer Todd Brown stepped down after almost a decade of service, and. Uh, after we posted our discussion on the podcast yesterday, Tim League issued a statement. Um, I'll read from his statement. Uh, he said, I would like you each to know that I have spoken with Devin today, and we agreed that it is the right decision for him to leave the company permanently. He offered his re- resignation, and I have accepted it. Our company value- our company values the ability to reflect On our actions, both individually and as a team, I have reflected a great deal and I welcome the opportunity to speak with each of you to listen and provide the opportunity for further reflection. As a result, you will all be receiving invitation to a series of small group discussions beginning on Friday. Please do not hesitate to reach out to me personally with any concerns as we together chart our path forward. Um, So, Jacob Uh,
2: That was quick Um, Do you have thoughts on this? I I do my initial thought is that I'm I'm not gonna say I'm happy about this because I feel like no matter what which take or direction you face this from Someone has a different opinion. Someone's unhappy. There are nuances here that are hard to explore When you're just one person I have a lot of very complex feelings. I think Tim made the right decision. I think Tim also made a dozen wrong decisions leading up to this. And, but, and as somebody who knows Tim in the real world, has interacted with him on many occasions, I am gravely disappointed and hope that this is a learning experience where he realizes that he did some really crummy things and hurt a lot of people. And I don't think Tim's a malicious guy, but I do think this is a case of a man being blind to, a lot, to how he can harm other people. Um, by in, 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 ways that maybe aren't clear to lots of men. I know for a fact that I have said and done sh- shitty, crummy things because I'm a, a white guy who did not realize I was saying shitty and crummy things. I'm, I'm not forgiving Tim. I'm saying Tim has a long road back to forgiveness, but I am saying that I think he made the right decision, but it doesn't quite make up for the past 10 months of essentially covering up some pretty crummy, um, decisions.
1: Another person that came out and accused Devin of sexual harassment who was emailed by Tim and, uh, in, in words basically told, uh, keep this between you and me. Uh, and I'm, and a lot of people in the community are kind of upset over that. Um, we don't quite know, uh, what he meant by that. Did he mean, you know, the conversation, the personal conversation that they had, the back and forth, or did he mean the allegations, against Devin? keep that between you and me? Um, I'm sure that'll come out, and I'm sure uh, uh, you know that'll be in the news. And uh, if we have any updates, we'll update on here. But uh, you know, I don't, I don't want to make this show about controversies and this kind of thing. Yeah. But I, I thought it was really important that we covered this on the podcast uh, when it was happening this week because it, it is something that, um, you know, it, it, it the draft test is something important to both you and me. Um, probably more so to you because you live in in Austin and uh, It just felt really shitty what was going
2: on Yeah, actually I want to um read something real quick. Sure um, Even though this story gained traction amongst film Twitter and the film community as a whole online this everybody who reads websites or frequents draft houses around the country all got involved and have opinions the story really came out because local Austinites latched onto it first, discovered it, and that led to a stumbling effect. And this is a um, Facebook post. It was um, written by my friend Jessica Cargill. Uh, he, it was shared by her husband, C. Robert Cargill, the writer of Doctor Strange and other, thing, and other movies and books. And he shared it on Twitter. Um, so it's, it's, out, it's out in the public. Uh, and Jessica and, and Cargill are both friends of mine. And I feel like this is a corner that's not being addressed when people are talking about this, and that's the local Austin Draft House community of uh, female fans and women who are Fantastic Fest regulars. So I just want to read a portion of this from uh, Jessica. While I know it may look like it, I don't see attending this festival as supporting the Boys Club. I see it as challenging it. I will not be run out. I am a woman and a movie lover, and every much a part of this community as anyone else. I want to go and hug my friends to listen to those who need the vent and share to laugh with those who need some respite, to support the films, and to thank the staff and volunteers who work so hard to make this thing happen. So if you see me there, please know it's not because I don't know or care about the, dis- about the disappointing message the Draft House has intentionally or not sent to women and all sexual assault victims. It's not because I support the Boys Club, and for heaven's sake, it's not because my husband is there. Don't even get me started on that one. It's because I feel that there is and should be a place for women in the film community that we belong and we matter. I'm not going to give up that, that up because some people don't get it, hopefully we can change their minds hmm. so that's wonderful I, yeah, it's, it's a really great post, and um, I'm not sure if, if her Facebook post is public, but her husband like I said uh, c Robert Cargill who's, who's active on Twitter, shared it, its entirety on Twitter. If you want to read it, I, I recommend checking that out, but like like I said, I'm not going to forgive and forget instantly, but the draft house is bigger than Tim League, and, and the community is bigger than Devin Verracci, and I'm looking forward to seeing all my Film fan friends, male and female, and hopefully having the cathartic finding the catharsis we need to start moving forward for sure.
1: Okay, let's move on to the to the dumb fun film news, (laughs) not the heavy serious stuff. Yeah, Uh, you know, uh, Max Landis is remaking an American Werewolf in London. And not uh, that sounds like a horrible idea. An <laughs> the idea, worst, the worst idea. <laughs> <laughs> an idea that is uh, his father, the person who made the original John Landis, does has come out and says he doesn't want his son Max to do it. Um, you, uh, what do we know about this, Jacob?
2: Okay, this is uh, Max Landis speaking. Of the Collider. I'm going to read the quote because it's good. When asked about his son's remake of American Werewolf in London, said. I advise him not to do it. I think he's putting himself in a bad position. My son is brilliant. He really is. And he wants to do it. So what am I going to say? No. I know it won't be as bad as American World in Paris, which was shit. So I don't know. <laughs> so, well, at least John Landis is being honest. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't know. I've never communicated with Max Landis personally. I know people who have. He's quite the Twitter personality. He's quite the eccentric Twitter personality. He likes getting in feud. likes making broad, sweeping statements. He likes... He's very, he's very,
1: very <laughs> abrasive online. Yes. But in person, he is actually. I've I've had interactions with him, and he's actually a very
2: nice, intelligent uh, person. Yeah, that, that's the thing is that my my initial opinion on him is, oh, he's the loud guy on Twitter. But I, I hear, by all accounts, he's a really talented writer, and and the reason why he keeps writing screenplays. even though, even even get made the bad movies, and so i'm torn I'm like i'm me's like you know what give max landis a chance <laughs> um, I, I i don't i don't have the knee-jerk reaction to him i know that some people in the film community do but at the same time merrick werewolf in london is sacred ground that movie is such a bizarre alchemy of things that shouldn't work clicking and working the right time the right place and i feel like trying to recreate that is such a bad move even if his last name is landis are, are you attached to this movie peter like does this movie mean a lot to you too you know i it doesn't mean
1: as much to me as it does a lot of the film community um i mean i love the special effects in it but as a movie uh it wasn't like something that like i fell in love with as you know when i was younger um I will say this of Max Lendis. I've read a couple of his scripts and the scripts are really great. And the movies that have been made out of them are really bad. And, uh, I'm not sure if that's his fault. It seems like they changed the scripts quite a bit. Um, and I would like to also say this about him. If you ever have a chance, listen to his episode on the Nerdist podcast. He, at one point, I actually, I'll link it in the show notes because I think it might be on YouTube. At one point he like gives this pitch about his movie take on like, um, some pirate movie. I'm not going to ruin the twist, but like it's it's like being in a room, you know, and he's in a room with the studio executive pitching like his uh, kind of a story. He just came off the cuff of, you know, Do you know what I mean, like not like something he spent a lot of time on and it's riveting. And it, you, you can see exactly why he gets hired for so many things, because in the room, he's like magic. Like the story, the storytelling skills on him is is just incredible. Um, But I don't think we need a remake of an American Werewolf in London. No,
2: let Batman write an original werewolf comedy. You know, <laughs> it doesn't have to be called American Werewolf in London. Let it don't let it be don't live in the shadow of a classic. Uh At the same time, it's a name recognition thing. Studio likes studio like a familiar thing. I know that's a big deal. I know that's why it's happening. But my, my, as a film fan, I'm like, just write an original movie. But that's uh, me being naive, but I'm aware of that.
1: That said, I, I have faith in him that it's not just a typical remake, that he probably has some kind of interesting take on on this property. So I don't know. I'm interested to see what it ends up being, and even if it doesn't get made. Max Landis is one of those outspoken people that we'll probably share the screenplay online at some point. Oh, for sure. (laughs) So so, so we'll we'll find out eventually. Um, One of the stories I wrote up today on the site is about Star Wars from a certain point of view, which is this book coming out uh, in October. It's 40 stories celebrating 40 years of Star Wars. And it's basically stories uh, that take the perspective of background characters from A New Hope, uh, from x-wing pilots who helped Luke destroy the death star to the stormtroopers who never quite could find the droids that they were looking for um the pitch for the thing is is, is kind of compelling and they got a lot of great writers involved including like Gary Witta, who you know wrote the original script for Rogue One Paul Denny uh the famed comic uh book writer um there, there, there's a bunch of great writers but today they've started unleashing kind of the plot synopsis is for these short short stories and some of them are just fantastic um i'm trying to think of what, what i like best oh gary witta he has ramus and that basically plays uh, follows ramus antilles who is the captain of uh the ship that you see at the beginning of star wars a new hope and you see at the end of rogue one and basically his story is going to bridge the gap between Rogue One and A New Hope. It's going to tell the story of what happened in between there. Not that I, I think that story might be that compelling, but it's compelling enough for a short story. And um, I'm trying to think what, what else was uh, a, a good on this list. Another one uh, that I loved is Ray Carson's The Red One tells the story of the droid with the bad motivator. Um, I just love that we're getting a story from that droid's point of view. Um,
2: yeah, the, the droid from New Hope who breaks down when uh, Uncle Owen tries to buy him. So we get to see like that droid's life story. That's such a specific thing. I kind of love it.
1: Yeah, another person wrote the story of the stormtrooper who turned in Leia. Um, you know, there's a, a story about Mon Mothma. Um, the
2: Obi Wan the Kenobi one is the one oh. I want you to talk about.
1: Yes, that one seems to be like the one of the most compelling Kevin Scott's time of death follows Obi-Wan Kenobi in the moments after his death uh, they, they, they give like a small excerpt and it says uh, my name is Obi-Wan Kenobi and I am dead I know that's how that sounds crazy old Ben with his crazy stories but this isn't crazy this is happening at least I think it is and I'm sure that's the opening to the story Go over to SlashFilm.com because you can read there's like over a dozen of these log lines and a lot of them are clever, compelling, interesting. Reading these, I was actually thinking to myself, you know, we we talk all the time like what Star Wars standalone movies we would like to see get made. Now I'm wondering, I, I think I would love to see a Star Wars anthology movie and not and I know they were calling these standalone movies anthology movies. But I mean, like an actual anthology movie where you have like, you know, 10 different directors provide short films that are not tied together in any specific way you know kind of like uh i guess twilight zone or what's some other um famous anthology movie i guess they're mostly in horror
2: films right yeah i mean there's a whole bunch of uh horror anthologies that are like a recent example would be the vhs series yeah. where there's a framing device and they have an excuse to cut into various short films like explore you know 15 20 minute stories I and mean, and there aren't, there actually aren't a lot of anthology films I know of outside of horror genre. I, I think most, like, for example, a movie like Magnolia, feels like it could be an anthology uh, movie. It's been intercut with oh, all yeah. the different stories intercutting. But the idea of individual one off stories appearing one after the other is something I would love to see in more genres. And I think you're right. I would love to see this. Now, uh, the,
1: and the great thing about this is, like, we always have these dream conversations like, what would it be like if Steven Spielberg directed a Star Wars movie? It'll never happen. But maybe they could get Steven Spielberg to direct a, you know, 15-minute short film for this anthology movie. Maybe they could get Quentin Tarantino. Maybe they could get Chris Nolan. How great would that be to see, like, the small, uh, you know, the small story from Jason Reitman, you know. uh, Like, do you know what I mean? It would be – I think it would be so interesting. I'm not sure it would be something you could sell to the masses, maybe. I don't know. It seems seems a little art art, (laughs) – Artsy um, Indie cinema kind of uh, w- What do you think?
2: Uh, I think if it has Star Wars in the name uh, I think it's going to make money <laughs> that's, that's why I'm always Not disappointed with Lucasfilm so I understand why they make decisions that they make And I, I think that uh, A director like Ron Howard Fits the sensibilities they want perfectly for Han Solo I, I get that But at the same time I feel like if anyone can afford to be adventurous It's Lucasfilm because you see, Star Wars entitled. You put it in four thousand theaters. You're gonna make your money back. So I, my whole thing, my whole thing is maybe finish up the sequel trilogy, get another spin off under your belt, then get weird, hand out smaller budgets to um and or to tackle concepts that are a little nuttier. I feel like there's one company in the world who can afford this, and that's them. So you know what? Maybe it's maybe it's thinking with your head in the clouds, but I love the idea of it.
1: Yeah. Um. Let's move on to uh, an article Ben wrote up for the site. Tyrese begs Dwayne Johnson to not make Fast and the Furious spinoff before Fast 9. Why,
2: Jacob, why? <laughs> That's a really good question. I wish Ben was here because Ben is our resident Fast and Furious expert. And I specifically asked him to write this article because I couldn't make heads or tails of some of it. But the basic gist of it, like, th- to double back a little bit that there have been rumors for a while that Dwayne Johnson's Fast and Furious character Hobbs would be getting a spinoff. And the rumors came even louder earlier this year when there was reports of a spinoff starring Jason Statham's character Shaw and Hobbs. So it would be like these two mismatched guys, this uh, tough federal agent and this wiry anti-hero criminal teaming up and going on adventures separate from the rest of the crew. And if you may, you may remember this if you read com that there was even a post credit scene that was, shot set, that was going to be shot to set up this potential spinoff that Vin Diesel nixed at the last second, apparent, apparently furious about the whole thing because he's the keeper of the series in his mind. But uh, I guess with that out of the way, we come to this now deleted rambling post from Tyrese where he says that... This, that the faith of furious was successful and made 1.2 million one sorry, 1.2 billion at the worldwide box office because they hit their release date. And he seems to imply that he's worried that Vin Diesel, sorry, that the rock going off and making his spinoff movie could ruin that somehow, or disrupt the flow of getting the fast and furious nine. But this is, this is an amazing post. and I recommend you go read it because in the, in the midst of, Publicly asking The Rock to not make a spinoff movie yet. He, I'm gonna read Ben's list here. He disses Baywatch, the movie from earlier this year. Hashtags private school. Um, refers to Dwayne Johnson's Seven Bucks Productions as Seven Pounds Productions. Praises Johnson's singing voice and references Johnson's September 11th um, Instagram memorial message. Refers to himself as a real, cha- refers to himself as a real champion in quotation marks, and it. I look. Tyrese seems like a fun guy. He seems like a weird guy. <laughs> and I, I I think this post is deleted for a reason. I think his agent or, or manager or solved and said, "Man, please take this down right away. You make no sense. The last thing we need is the illusion of another beef between the actors so soon after Vin Diesel and The Rock clashed on the last movie." Peter,
1: th- well, does this make any sense to you? Tyrese does. You know, has no filter. Um, as has been evidenced many times and uh, he clearly does not make any sense in this, in this letter. Um, so I want to yeah. read
2: an excerpt real quick. I'm yeah. looking at it right now. Go ahead. Didn't you see how huge Hashtag Fast 8 was? It's because we announced and kept our release date, bro. Call me back, DJ. I had a great call with your partner here at 7 Pounds Productions, but I'm still trying to reach you. God bless you. I'm only doing this on behalf of our family, so we keep them all in private school god bless you good brother it's just it's, it's just like this constant stream of apologies plus don't let us down man plus please call me back please, it's it's it, it's a it's a trip and it actually made me love um tyrese more yeah. it, it made me realize that to tyrese on the screen the kind of goofball personality they embrace in the later sequels seems to be them really tapping into who he is in real life and i actually find that really charming <laughs>
1: And remember the time Tyrese recorded a video and posted on Instagram begging Michael Bay to put him in Transformers the last night. <laughs> I've forgotten, but now I remember. <laughs> yes, it's I uh, I don't know. I got a link to all this in the show notes. <laughs> it's 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 funny. Um, anyways, let's move on. The last bit of news: Game of Thrones. You're a huge Game of Thrones fan. The final season is uh, gearing up. Uh, and we have learned that they're going to be filming multiple endings for the series finale to avoid spoilers.
2: Yes, this is an interesting story because it's HBO doubling down on something they've done before. As our own writer, um, Hoy Trambui, writes in her article on the site, they have filmed alternate scenes before that were never intended to be used in the show at all to throw off reporters and throw off press and throw off. Photographers trying to get scoops. And the horrible thing is that sometimes these scenes take hours and hours of shoot and the actors are all aware that they're shooting a thing that's not going to be used. So it's such a bizarre thing to think about. But this news comes from HBO programming president uh, Casey Blois, who said, I know in Game of Thrones, the ending, they're going to shoot multiple versions so that nobody really knows what happens. And it makes sense after the summer HBO had where they were hacked and Scripts were released online, and lots of their partners, overseas especially, started airing episodes early, and if you were tapped into the Game of Thrones community and listened to the right podcasts and read the right websites, which I used to, I stopped uh, in the past year because I didn't want to get spoiled anymore, you knew everything was going to happen. Like All the big reveals of the season were all out there, and if and there are people out there who were actively discussing um, major events months in advance, and... I managed to avoid them, thankfully. But it's a leaky ship. And so I'm just picturing now HBO having multiple scripts for each episode is full of nonsense and is full of things that are so ridiculous that they draw attention away from what actually happens. And I think I'm going to steal a joke that screen crushes Matt Singer said on Twitter, where he envisions a fake ending where everybody gets a big, long, slow clap for Jon Snow for all that he's done in the show. And I'm just laughing about (laughs) the possibilities of a a Blu-ray feature of all the crazy, ridiculous, completely inappropriate scenes they shoot just to throw people off. Uh, That does it for the
1: news. We're already running overtime, I'm pretty sure. Uh, Let's get into the mailbag every day on the podcast, or almost every day on the podcast. We try to answer one of your questions. You can send them to Peter at peter.com. Please mention your name and general geographic location, In case we mention it on there on today's show, we're going to answer a question from Braden Garcia, who asks, Hey, Peter, loving Slash Film Daily. Thank you. Uh, Listen to every day. It's out. I just had a question on how to enter the movie blogging slash writing world. Is there a certain degree plan that gets me into the movie website writing world? I was thinking about going into journalism so I could maybe one day write about movies because no other job seems like it's worth it when movies are such a big part of me. Thanks for your time and love the podcast, man. Well, thank you for all the kind words uh, about the podcast. Um, I'll start off by saying that I'm not sure I'm the best person to give you advice on how to get into movie journalism um, because I did not go to college for journalism. I kind of... um, Stumbled my way into this. Um, well, actually before I even get into that, uh, we should say that people getting paid for a living to write about movies is becoming, uh, it's becoming harder, a harder thing to do. Um, it used to be that every newspaper hired a film critic that, you know, there's all these websites employing people full time. And that's not a thing that is as widespread nowadays. Um, I know a lot of friends that are trying desperately to get work, freelancers, you know, trying to get jobs at you know, all these different outlets. Um, it's uh, you're talking to two people that are making a full time living off writing about film. But there are many out there that are not so lucky that are trying to do it. So the first thing I'd say to you is question if that is, you know, a possibility that you want to enter into the possibility that, you know, you might be entering into this world that less and less people are getting paid a full-time living to write about film. And, uh, the possibility that you might not have a job full-time writing about film. Um, but if that's, if film is something you love so much and you love writing, then I would encourage it. Um, before, uh, I, I hand it over to Jacob. I just want to say how I got into this is, you know, in high school, I was big into pro wrestling. I, I wrote about, I had a website called dot um, com, And we, it was one of the first pro wrestling websites out there. We wrote about, uh, pro wrestling WWF at the time. And it was huge. And I, uh, I made some good money on the side (laughs) out of high school, um, writing about wrestling for, for a living. And then when, you know, I kind of fell off and didn't like wrestling anymore and, uh, decided I wanted to become a screenwriter. (laughs) And, uh, I have a whole article about this. You can read this in depth, but, um, the the basic gist is I want to become a screenwriter. I wrote a few scripts. I realized how hard it is to actually sell a script. So I decided I wanted to become a director because if I could direct then I could make my script. um, So I co-directed this film called Escaping Reality with my friend Elaine Mack. We spent uh, tens of thousands of dollars on it. It was a feature film. I spent three years of my life on it. I met some of my best friends on it. And um, ultimately, it was not great in my mind. Um, And it never got released. But in the process, I learned that I loved that you need to put... a. To have three years to dedicate to one hundred minute story, is a lot. It's a lot of investment, and to me, I loved going to the movies every week. I loved talking about movies. I was going to the Sundance Film Festival as a volunteer and discovering these movies and bringing them home and sh- exposing them to friends and you know stuff like that. So I, I some I saw I saw a site called uh, Engadget had a job application up. They were starting this website called Cinematical, and I applied for that job and started writing for them, I think, a dollar per post. So here's the other lesson. Don't expect to make a lot of money writing about movies (laughs) (laughs) because I was writing 300-word posts for a dollar a post uh, back then. And uh, somehow that evolved into SlashFilm.com, which is, you know, one of the bigger independent movie blogs out there. And we, we employ, you know a handful of people full time and a, a lot of people freelance and uh, I'm, I'm happy to do that. Uh, but, um, even, even we have a, a meager budget compared to, you know, these big corporate websites. Uh, I, so I stumbled into it. I didn't go to school for journalism. I didn't, you know, think that was going to be my path. Um, I would say before I hand it over to Jacob and I'm sorry for hogging <laughs> so much here. Uh, to start writing now. I'm not sure if you're in high school or, or whatnot, but create a blog. Start writing about movies. Don't just write reviews. You know, create lists. Create content that, uh, it, no offense, people will want to read. <laughs> because people don't necessarily always want to read reviews. <laughs> um, you know, create content that is accessible. Send it around. Uh, you know, we, we have found some of the writers on slash film because they pitched us ideas for columns and had, uh, you know, work to back it up. Um, and, um, you know, we won't take a submission in the dark from someone who's never written in a, any, written anything. So please don't email us if you have not written <laughs> a single thing, but I would say start writing now. You don't have to wait until you get a degree or you, you go to school and I'm not telling you not to go to school for it, but yeah. Jacob, what, what are your thoughts?
2: I think the most important thing you said is start writing now. When I was younger, there was a now defunct website called Everyone's a Critic.net, went to a community of people who casually reviewed movies. And I get so much bad writing out of my system. Between ages of maybe 14 and 17, uh, up to my first year of college, I wrote hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of movie reviews. And I learned very quickly this doesn't work, this is bad, this is good. And those are three years of unreadable junk, and I got it out of the way as soon as possible because when you first start writing, it's going to be garbage. It's it's flat out going to be garbage. I can't even go back and read my first professional posts because I feel like I've improved beyond that. So right now, write constantly. Either start a Tumblr, start a blog, review on Facebook, have Letterboxd, do something and get it out of your system, because much like making movies, your way your first short film is always garbage, speaking from experience as well, uh, your first writing will be garbage. And as for degrees, I have a degree in film and television. I went to art school. I specialized in film and television, learned the hard way. I'm a lousy director. But that experience taught me a lot about making movies and gave me a perspective that I found valuable personally for how I write about movies. So I guess... When it comes to degrees, you don't even, even need a college degree to write about movies, but I, I, I valued the college experience, and I valued immersing myself in the world of cinema and being surrounded by talented movie makers, people who I went to school with who are now working at Pixar and have films in film festivals, people who I stay in touch with. Like if you saw in the Alien um, VR short from earlier this year, I was friends with the guy in college. Like Even though I was making bad movies, just going to college and being around that guy, picking his brain, staying in touch with him since then. Has proven valuable so college is going to be if, uh, about that's just something you have to make that choice is, is it worth it for you but even then once you have your degree if you choose to get one or you right now you have a degree and you want to try looking into this field just be prepared for it not to be a full-time job i worked at target for years i worked at dragon's Lair comics and fantasy in austin texas the help pay my rent while i was writing for screen crush I used to write for about 12 different sites at once. You go back a few years, you'll you'll find my bylines at SlashFilm, ScreenCrush, Movies.com, Fandango, Esquire, a local site called Culture Map Austin. It was, it's, you gotta hustle. And it took me nearly a decade of working retail and writing for various sites and working my way up to the point where I was good enough and was trusted enough by Peter to accept a managing editor job at SlashFilm. And even then, it was all a matter of being in the right place at the right time. Luck is important. I hate to say it, but it is. And and I don't know, It's looking back on it, it's turning in copy on time, being easy to work with, having perspectives that are unique but also will get clicks, having those those perspectives and meeting the right people at the right time. That's the tricky part is having that set of skills but also backing into that moment it's how it's gonna happen. And that's why like you said also back to write your bad crap now So you later you can have your good stuff ready to show and I guess it's interesting as this is totally almost off-topic But Peter was there for the beginning of Cinematical like literally one of his first writers and I was on staff when it got shut down So I we were both there for the beginning and the end of Cinematical Peter.
1: Yeah Um and one of you one of the things you said is interesting too is the hustling and I think even from the beginning, even from you writing a blog on Medium or what whatnot, you know, find ways of sharing that content and trying to get people to your blog. You're going to have to hustle from the beginning to the end. Uh, even when you are you're, you're full time someplace, you're going to have to hustle. So learn to hustle early on and learn, you know, that you're going to have to do things you can't there's not going to be someone that's just going to come and pay you to write about movies. You you need to provide something that no one else is providing. You need to find a way to write about movies differently. You need to find angles that are different. You need to be clever. You need to, uh, you know, and, uh, write Honestly too. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think that's, uh, all the advice I can get in give because I don't, uh, you know do do you do, do do you think there's a great importance i i think there's a great importance in going to college and getting that experience and that's from someone who did not graduate college uh but jacob do you do you think there's importance to from graduating with a journalism degree i'm, I'm wondering your thoughts on that
2: it couldn't hurt uh it couldn't hurt to have a degree in something at the very least having a degree gets makes it easier to have that side job to help you write because even though I worked a lot of retail, I also ultimately did work at a uh, app development company for a little while working for them and having a degree helped. So even if it is an art school degree, having a bachelor's of some kind is, it's not gonna get you jobs, but it's gonna help you get your foot in the door a little bit better. And And like I said, you're gonna need other jobs to support yourself while you get ready to write about movies for a living. So I found the college experience invaluable I found my degree useful. I can't recommend it for everybody. I think there are some people who aren't built for that experience, or some people who college may harm it because maybe it's, it's just going to waste years of their life. Years of their life. But I, like I said, it's going to be how you look into your soul. Talk to your. I'm assuming talking to younger listeners here, but talk to your family, talk to your friends. Forget what you want to do, and I'd recommend giving it a shot if you can afford it. Uh, I know college is an option for everybody, and that sucks. America educational system sucks. But I personally found it useful. But at the same time, if if the thought of it sounds so unbearable to you, and I'm not going to say you have to do it nor order to be happy or successful.
1: Uh, I think we've relayed some good advice here. <laughs> that, that, that could be applicable to like many different fields, actually. Not even just writing, but filmmaking, screenwriting. Um, I think it's, it's just as important, you know, in, in those fields, going to college and meeting those like-minded people and not just developing friendships, but developing connections. And, uh, I mean, that certainly helps in this this realm is like, even when you're a freelancer writing about movies, it's, it's who, you know, and, you know, pitching ideas to those right people and getting, you know, those gigs. So, Yeah. Um, I think we're probably going along here if you want. Do you have any other last thoughts on this Jacob? Uh,
2: take notes well and recognize that when editors ask you to rewrite something they're giving you a second chance of being helpful They're not stamping on your masterpiece. Take if you can do that editors will love you I know from experience both as an editor and as a freelancer, that's the last thing I'll say Yeah,
1: and I would say also go to like some of the biggest websites see how they're writing content see what content uh, is being read the most and uh try to figure out why try to like you know reverse engineer this you know i'll tell you this you know typically a movie review isn't the highest read thing on slash film but uh if you can write an article that like here's why it is a masterpiece without being a scary horror film. Do you know what I mean? Like, find ways of wording stuff and fi- find ways of framing framing your content so that it is accessible. You can, you can essentially write the same thing. You could essentially write a review <laughs> as long as you frame it in the right way. Uh, but I, I, I feel like that's the biggest uh, thing I would say to avoid is just don't go on a blog and just write a bunch of reviews because probably no one's going to read them. Find a way to make them accessible. Find a way to you know s- spread them around the internet and have people you know want to read them. Okay, if you have a question for us, send it to the mailbag, peter at slashfilm.com. Again, please mention your name and general geographic location in case you mention it on the air. You can find me at slashfilm. You can find Jacob at Jacob S. Hall on Twitter. We can find both of us on slash film.com and uh, you can find all the articles we talked about today on slash film.com and in the show notes, we have links to all the articles. Uh, you, can, you can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google play overcast, all the popular podcast apps, please go to iTunes, give us a review, give us a rating uh, that helps us out. Spread the word, tell your friends, family, social media, you know, uh, spread the word about slash daily. To be honest here, we don't make any money off this podcast. We we are losing quite a bit of money on this podcast. I'm I'm investing hours a day on this. Uh, you know, I have writers that I'm paying hourly uh, to come on the podcast, and we have no ads, and there's not going to be any advertising in the foreseeable future. Uh, so we're doing this out of uh, it's, it's something we want to do, and it's uh, something that you know I think it is helping build this slash film brand. Um, and it's, it's something that I think a lot of you are appreciating. We're getting a lot of letters, a lot of encouragement, um, and we appreciate that. But, uh, please understand we need to grow this. Um, if we can't keep on growing this and it's growing at a good rate right now, but if we can't keep on growing this, we can't keep on doing this. So please spread the word, um, and, uh, have a good weekend. We'll see you on Monday.
2: Way to threaten our listeners, Peter. The very end there. (laughs)